How's it going? I have one question for you. Please. Can you hear Bon Jovi's living on a prayer in the background? No, I can't. Okay, great. <laughs> no one needs to hear that. I'm like, <laughs> like, like if I, if I look around, I may, I may run into it. I was noticing you doing that. That was pretty like, good. <laughs> oh, well, maybe it's here somewhere. Gosh, so, so I like to think of it as, I mean, you're moving your head yeah. around, so you might be using your eyes, but you're moving your head around in order to be able to hear, you know, from different angles. <laughs> right. So I know like, it looks like you're <laughs> you know, like push harder on my earbuds. Yeah. That, that's, that's better than looking around. I'm just like, why am I looking around? This makes no sense whatsoever. Well, I guess that that's, goes, that goes directly into what we we're going to talk about today. You know, like yeah. the whole oh. idea of detecting signals, um, our sensors and what are we sensing? What are the people sensing? So I, 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 no, I don't hear living on a prayer. I, I you know, at, <laughs> at times I wish I do because for some reason there's that little part of me that loves like late or mid eighties, uh, kind of hair rock and just for like nostalgia of my youth. And then, um, there's other part of me that's just like, yeah, that's enough. That's enough Oh, for sure. This week, any wins? Any big wins this week? Yes, actually. I I um, had a, a client of mine who I'm working with in the gym started seeing Brandon. And she did a mobility profile with Brandon. And for the first time, I looked at a mobility profile and I think I understood what was really happening. I think I, I I was able to look at it with with an actual plan of attack, you know, um, at least at least for for being in the gym and and doing the way that the way that I'm doing things in the gym is a little different from someone being on the table all the time, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I definitely had never looked at a mobility profile before and just understood it always had to put a lot of work into being able to understand what things mean. So it was well, that's, good. That's awesome. And that's cool that uh, you and Brandon are getting on the same page with how you're describing stuff and, and also um, how to communicate that in your own words. So in case there's something you're seeing that uh, you're describing a certain way that um, mm -hmm. he understands you and you understand him. Yeah, I've started doing my mobility profiles a little bit more like him. I had initially wanted to make it very my own mm -hmm. so that I could understand it since I was learning it and I am still learning it, but now I've, I've really seen the value in, in us being in sync with that. That's so really cool. That's really, really cool. helpful. Yeah. And uh, just so the listeners understand this whole idea of a mobility profile is also what we're going in uh, into today. Um, mobility profiles are a um, tool that's used by the muscle system specialist from exerciseproed.com. And um, what it is, is a way for practitioners to um, lay down their data on one sheet of paper to understand and have a holistic view of what a client may be experiencing and or where they may have difficulties controlling their bodies along with um, any any material problems that they've encountered at one point in time, like if they had any uh, previous joint problems, joint injuries, um, that kind of stuff. And um, so any of you that's out there that's wondering what our, mo our mobility profile is, you can go to exerciseproid.com. I think you have some examples there, um, especially if you're in the Exercise Explorers Club that talks a lot about these ideas. Um, Mel, last week... We talked about joints. We talked about structure and function. Um, what were some of the main takeaways and questions that you had of that? Oh, you know, I would have to go back and listen to it to really remember what my what my questions were. But I think um, something that we had wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about um, is stress um, forces um, within internal and external forces. So really cool. maybe that's something that we could talk about. I don't, I don't actually have a lot of background in that yet. I haven't taken RTS yet. So I'm, I probably will have a lot more questions than answers, but I, I would love to touch on that a little bit. Cool. Yeah. I mean, this is something where, um, 
like I said before, this is the best of my ability to understand these concepts. And if I, if I misrepresent them, I'm doing the best that I can with this, um, overall with forces in, um, in the joint space, especially in the capsule, because like there's another thing that that I forgot to add last time as far as errors was I talked about there's a convex side and a concave side of a joint. And really, that's just like inside of the cavity, the joint cavity, right? So um, what's really interesting is that there are these forces, there is friction, which is opposed by shear. And then there's compression, which is opposed by uh, a distraction force. And these forces are happening all the uh, they're, they're happening in the joint not all the time they're 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 happening um while the the joint could be um while mm -hmm. it could be still right oh. where it could be moving just because there is a distraction force on a joint doesn't necessarily distraction force that's applied to a, a limb doesn't necessarily mean that there's a distraction force to a joint like the only way to know that is is to be able to read what's happening at the joint surface, right? So it's like, okay, what are the reaction forces at the joint versus the torques created about a joint? Because the joint itself is like the fulcrum, right? It's like the, the point of, of, of the axis of rotation, the pivot. And then you have these actuators called muscle that are that are imparting uh, different torques about that, that joint. And uh, each one of those are affected in, in different ways. And what's really cool is that, um, yeah, for a lot of long time, I, I was afraid of like shear, right? Like yeah. people were talking like shears doing this to your knee or shears doing that. But I'm like, if you don't have shear, your joint doesn't move because friction and shear are, are in opposition of each other, depending upon what, what direction this joint is moving. And shear is literally a part of the, the slide and the spin part of what's going on in the joint. So if there is no shear, the joint doesn't move in, in supposedly inside of a joint in some articles, they say it's like 10 times slicker than uh, ice on ice where like Tom Purvis's joke is, well, I've, <laughs> whenever I've had ice in the, um, in the freezer, the ice cubes always stuck together. So, <laughs> he's like, so I'm like ice with water in between that's slicker than ice on ice. <laughs> so, um, in, in the, the idea that, okay, these forces are happening but not necessarily are we capable of observing them, which is exactly what Greg Mack's axiom was, which is the idea that what is actually happening may not be observed, not be observable, right? And, and it may not even be felt by either observer, which is the person that's going through it or the person that's watching somebody go through it. Like it may be a completely different thing that's happening at a joint surface or, um, or what's happening um, to orchestrate, which is another um, RTS-ism, orchestration, which is like what is the the um, outcome or like what did the brain choose to be the solution to this challenge? So, um, and with that being said, it's like there there is resistance only if something is resisted. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> only if you so, are resisting it. Yeah, yeah, and, and those those things are, are happening, and there's a lot of people that get um, that get lever moment arms mixed up too, like. So, so I've heard them used interchangeably, also. So I'd love to know what what the difference is. Okay, well, my understanding of it is that um, where like the lever itself would be the center of rotation of an axis and the point of application of the force to the material so it's the direct line between um between that the point of application of force on on a material and then the center of the axis so it's a, it's a it's a line right so it, that's that's the lever it doesn't even need material um like if, if I had my arm up like this and no one can see this, of course, but like I have my arm up and, and you have this elbow as my, as my lever and I push here on my lever, then it's the point of application to the center of my, um, of, of my elbow. Right. So like right around that electronon area. So that would be the lever. Now the moment arm is going to be where 
that point of application to the the lever and then at uh, well the direction of force is on that lever there's going to be a perpendicular line from the center of that um, the center of that axis to that point of application and that is your moment arm which is completely different than the lever sometimes they they match up but like think of it like this if um if you had a string that went straight up and down to gravity right and then you held that string so that let's see if i can do this and you can see it on the video so you had this this string that could let's do this use this little rubber band right so say that this is this is my line of force and from here if if i'm opposing gravity right and it's and it's hitting right here on my arm on my on my forearm the moment arm is the perpendicular line to this line of force in the center of this elbow axis for that joint so the moment arm is ah. that long uh -huh. to, my, to my elbow right and there's going to be uh, a moment arm to my shoulder too right because it's out here so now i got a, a line for if this this was like the center of that application of force instead of like of course gravity being my whole forearm now if my arm is here right and i have this line that goes like this and this, if this is where the center of that force was now that perpendicular line is here so now that moment arm just got shorter got a little shorter mm -hmm gets a little shorter. And if I go straight enough, it goes right through my axis, but I, my elbow doesn't straighten that much to get perfect, like perfectly straight. So I have a little bit of a moment arm in the elbow flexion. Does that, does okay. that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, so what I, what I had thought initially was that they were essentially the same thing, mm. but let me make sure I have this right. Let me make sure I have this right. Um, so a lever can a lever is a, is a lever always a moment arm but a moment arm is not always a lever or um, am i not am i so so the a lever is just basically it would be it's just the object or it's the... It, it is the point of application of force to the center of the axis that's that's the definition of a lever so it's so it's like just basically the line right so it's okay. like if i if i if i push if I if I'm pushing here, this is always and I'm, and I'm moving here. It's always going to be from here. This is the lever. It's not even the material, right? Uh -huh. It's here to here, which is considered the lever, right? So Got it's the it. straight line from the point of application to the center of the axis that it's moving about. With the if the axis is here, then like like this, I'm spinning here. Yeah. Then and if I'm pushing here, it's the line from here to here. That would be the lever. Right. So if I'm doing like a biaxial row machine like the Kaiser, it like it's weird because it has this piece of like of metal that bends, but the lever would be where your hand is on the machine to the to the um, to where it spins to that axis of spin of the machine. So that's the lever, right? The, the moment arm, the moment arm is going to be the perpendicular line to to what's spinning the axis of rotation and the the application of force but two completely different things, right? So if my, if my direction of force is here and here's my axis, it's the line that's 90 degrees from that line yep. like this, right? So I'm seeing I, it now. Yeah. So if my, my force is going this way and it's spinning around this mm -hmm. and then here's my, here's my line. But if this, if this axis shifts in space, but this line does not, then this, this is getting shorter, right? This can, so a moment arm can, can change um, based upon, relationships where the lever the lever is the lever mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm imagining um, a cable machine some where you can see the line of force a little bit more easily mm -hmm. yeah because i'm gonna get so if you say you, you go through shoulder extension and you starting with uh in, in like a flexed shoulder position and you're pulling straight down right and all of a sudden this cable is getting closer to you you can actually see the moment arm to mm -hmm. the shoulder change as you're going almost uh, as you're bringing the the arm into extension from a flexed position if um if the cable's starting out like 
two feet in front of you, right? Or three feet or like a yard in front of you. Cause I got like monkey arms. Right. And then <laughs> you're driving it down. And then all of a sudden this cable, because you're driving it, um, inferiorly then, and, and posteriorly, then it's getting closer to the shoulder joint, which then reduces the moment to the shoulder joint. But there's still there's still a moment to the elbow, and there's still a moment towards the spine, right? So there's a spinal like if you're doing a single arm shoulder extension, there's going to be a moment to the spine, like different spinal segments. I shouldn't say the spine, spinal segments, because each one has its own axis. Um, there's going to be scapulothoracic, sternoclavicular axis. There's going to be glenohumeral axis. There's going to be um, elbow axis. There's going to be um, uh, radial ulnar axis. And there's going to be all these like wrist axes, along with like finger axes for holding it unless you attach it to your wrist. So each one of those has to be controlled with different profiles, with different moment arms to be accounted for. And that's that really what it is. is wild yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, thinks of, who thinks about that when they get their nasm certification <laughs> everybody everybody no. thinks about that no, <laughs> well it's like i had i had someone the other day and um and i know that people can can appreciate this it's like okay um someone goes out for a run and they wonder why their side hurts right like so i go for a run and i like, and, and I rest it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to rest it. It's not getting better. So I'm going to go out for another run and see how it goes. And I'm just going to get frustrated because I can't run three miles. I don't feel it when I run three miles while I'm doing it, but two hours after I'm feeling it. And so I'm just going to get frustrated and try it again later, the same thing later, right? Instead of, okay, armed with the idea that all these joints have to be controlled with different forces and there are different things that can change the control of all these um of all these joints in space based upon orientation or previous conditions surgeries medication uh mental status and like the list goes on to things like hydrational status nutrition like where uh where you are on the planet <laughs> like there's all these different ways that the body can either be in control of that stuff or be in an inflammatory state which then can completely switch how how somebody recovers from this stuff. So, uh, or if, if they're if they're sick, right, and don't even know it, like if they're dealing with a bacterial infection or the flu or uh, like a mold spore that just happens to be in their their area that they breathed in and they, their body doesn't like, even though they don't really have any outward outward effects of it, you know. So the the idea of at least the working knowledge that okay, this this moment arm thing in controlling these these joints and how I feel when I control these joints um, and then how that leads to a, a, like a progression of intensity, volume, uh, duration, recovery. It's like, it, it all sets up the same idea, which is like, okay, where's the moment arm? Um, how am I challenging this? What's, what's the, what's the load? What's their history? So, and I, and I love that. I love that idea where majority of people do get the, the moment arm and lever arm mixed up. And, and it, yeah, is it semantics? Yes. But the, I, I hear a lot of people also complaining that things aren't specific enough um, and, and that also words lose their, lose their meaning when they're just repeated like the word functional, right? It's like, what's really mm -hmm. functional? Like functional doesn't have any real meaning to it anymore because it's like everyone was using functional for so long, you know? So I, I, I find that fascinating. I find that really fascinating. That is really fascinating. And the, the, the whole idea of, um, of cueing of like, what, like, what's, what is the, what does the word functional really mean? Not cueing, but, um, language in general, mm. um, like, what does the word functional mean? What does the word moment arm mean versus lever arm? All of these things. Um, it's so confusing. Mm. For someone like me who is just coming into this and everybody's using all of these different terminologies that don't necessarily don't necessarily mean the same thing to everybody yeah yeah that makes uh, makes perfect sense so what i'll do is i'll see if uh tom has any any videos out on um levers and also moment arms um because like the idea of understanding that can can really clear up uh these challenges because all of a sudden 
if somebody has a huge moment to the knee and that would normally bias um, somebody using their their knee extensors or their quadricep area like do they feel it you know do they do they feel that sensation because what we're going to be talking about shortly it's like um that does the challenge line up with the expectation of what someone's sensing and if they're not sensing it there what's really happening like it, what's what's did we get out of the challenge what we hope to get out of the challenge or is there is that piece of information telling us that um that we're in the wrong spot for challenging the system we're in the wrong order or whatever and, and and i like the idea that um organization of challenges can depend on and this is just like i wrote these down because it, like if anything changes there's like number one um the person's memory like what do they have um either either explicitly or implicit, which would be explicit being like long-term memory being like, what do they consciously know? Implicit being like, what do they just inherently do non-consciously? Um, what's their inflammatory status, hydrational status? What is the material status, their nutritional status, disease and infection, medications, mental state? Um, are they happy, sad? Are they like pounded by, by the world right now? Um, their surroundings are setting, like where are they in space? Um, attention and intention, like what are they, what are they focused on? Mm -hmm. um, cues, uh, egocentric versus allocentric being like, am I focused mm -hmm. on me or my surroundings? Um, upper or motor, lower, uh, upper or lower motor lesions, uh, sensory lesions, uh, any type of brain injury, eye trauma, inner ear trauma, TMJ trauma, swallowing dysfunction, tongue dysfunction, central pattern generator ch changes to like when somebody maybe hurt a, a sprained an ankle or something like that. And, and there's so many other things that like are probably non-diagnosed or not even diagnosed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you made that long list and in my head, I would have just bit, I would have just asked I, if they could connect to that part of their body and I would just try to get them to connect to it. And then if that wasn't, I mean, this is in a gym setting. So if we were doing a, an exercise and then, and then just kind of change their positioning based off, you know, but, but, but you're right. There's so many other factors to this that are completely unseen that are completely uninvestigated, you know, and it's so important to have, to get someone's feedback on, on what's happening, what they're sensing, what they're noticing, but then there's all these things that they're not aware of. Yeah. Yeah. A lot but, of people don't even know if they've ever had a concussion. <laughs> if you do it right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think the number of people that I've had <laughs> on their, on the, on the um, intake form, who have put nothing for head trauma. And then you ask them or you start doing an assessment and they're like, oh yeah, I hit my head. Uh, oh yeah, I was a soccer player. And yeah, you know, all these, <laughs> and, and you ask them if they've ever had a concussion and they're like, no, <laughs> but. <laughs> I, and that's, and that's the, the quality of the intake form. And that, that like, that goes hand in hand with this next piece, which is like, okay, we got, um, we got the, how, how are we making decisions like decision-making, um, one-on-one, which is something again, from the MSS, uh, muscle system specialist, uh, Greg Mack stuff. And that goes with, um, there's a book I'm reading right now, um, called motor learning and oh, hold on a second. Let me grab it. So we got motor control and learning a behavioral emphasis by Richard Schmidt, uh, Timothy Lee. Uh, Carolyn Weinstein, Gabrielle Wolf, and Howard Zink, and I definitely completely murdered that last day. <laughs> so, but like the, the idea of it, which is really interesting, was like they had a whole section on it just on um, signal detection theory, and and the idea of number one, you have this really cool. Um, if you have a form that someone's filling out, so that you have some data on them to be able to make these decisions or whether you want to even work with them to begin with. Um, you have uh, a questionnaire or consult process where you're talking to them to see like, 
hey, should I really, am I within my scope of practice to work with this person? Um, And you only take that to take that on. And then if you are taking that on, what is your what is your evaluation process like so that you get enough data to corroborate objective and subjective measures um, to to corroborate um, your first move along with um, what what you're going to do as a plan so that you can you can maximize your decisions rather than just going with your gut. So, I mean, because how many times have like you're just like, well, I don't know what to do next. I mean, come on. It's like you got something going on with somebody and a majority of people that come into our place are people that aren't feeling that good. So it's like the, the choices really matter and they want to work out and you want to help them work out to get that feeling of exertion. But like if they if there are people that push it to the max, they're not going to feel good if, if they go beyond a certain threshold. I don't know if you've, if you've run into that too, Mel. Uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uncertainty when you're working with a person, with any person, regardless of how well you know them. Um, and uh, when you t- when you look at this list of twenty things that you've that you've put on this piece of paper, um, <laughs> in order to know in which direction we're going to go, it helps to have the data that's going to point us in a direction. Just to just to give us the most the best chance at making the best decision possible, hmm. you know, knowing that we're human and knowing that we're going to err um, at some point or another, and that we might see some false positives or miss things completely. Um, having having a way to gather as much data as possible, and then being able to discern what what data is actually going to be helpful and, and what data is not going to be helpful. Yeah. That's all, that's all super important. And I like what we talked about before where it's like, okay, we have objective measures and we have subjective measures. And I remember for a long time, like is subjective good is subjective bad is objective good is objective like this idea that there was a good or a bad rather than if someone's subjective experience isn't number one um, understood if if it's not asked and if it's not defined for the frame of the entire relationship it's like it's like not sending a gps and just driving in the middle of nowhere it's like let's just go where i want to go instead of what does this person want where where do they hope to go to do it sets the entire frame of the entire relationship and then also it sets the frame for what signals that you hope to detect to be able to make a difference. Yeah, there's um, there's nothing wrong with having more tools in your toolbox and having objective information as well as subjective information can, or at least in, in my limited experience has helped to point me in, in, a, in a better direction. Um, when it comes down, I think I have a tendency to veer more towards subjective data right now, just because I, I feel that as a practitioner, there's a lot of fault or a lot of flaws in my, like in my sampling, for example. Um, and just because I have such a limited understanding of body mechanics and things that are happening um, inside of the body at any point while I'm working with someone, um, but I feel right now that I feel right now that leaning a little bit more on the subjective side of like, what are things that this other person is feeling and, and how do I change the sensations throughout, you know, the session or over time? Um, I find that that helps me. But now that I'm learning a lot more about how the body actually works and I'm gaining experience shadowing Brandon, it's I really feel so much more secure adding in the objective stuff that I have been adding in. So what objective stuff have you been been adding? Um, well, being able to really understand like even even what muscles help to help in, a, in any particular movement, you know, so what muscles been, are going to aid in. 
What's that? You guys been utilizing the machines and just writing down numbers too? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Big, For sure. big objective. So like yeah. side to side comparisons, rest comparison times, mm-hmm. you know, it's like all those objective numbers come in so handy. Yeah, it's tracking people's progress objectively is very is very helpful for me. It's it's probably one of the one of the things that I actually started off doing um, that I that I still feel is helpful. Sometimes I think about some of the things that I did when I first started personal training, and I think it was pointless. But <laughs> but that's one of the things that I that I did that I that I now I now I want to track a lot more closely. Um, and I actually, I, I've, I've started to, I need to actually make myself a different form because right now I'm, I'm using a daily exercise notes that just kind of have, I don't use it the way it's meant to be used at all. I've, I've changed the way that I input information on it. And um, I've really, I've really like taking a number, like for example, the amount of resistance on the machine um, writing, if there's a difference between sides, if it's a unilateral movement, um, and then writing down the sensations that, that the client was feeling at the time. So if they're feeling at a different place, and then was there anything that we were able to do to change that sensation? Um, and then how did that sensation change? Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of combining the objective and subjective has been, has been kind of cool. That sounds really cool. And, and that's exactly, you know, when we're talking about um, signal detection theory, which was green and I think sweats, the SWETS in the 60s, so 66, they talked about, um, number one, the idea of um, if something was a true positive, you detected what you wanted to detect, true negative being you didn't detect what you didn't want to detect false positive, which is you detected what you thought you wanted to, but it really wasn't. And then the false negative, which is like, you missed it completely. It wasn't even on your radar. So it's interesting to see like what people are detecting. So like uh, just a run through real quick of some ideas of um, things that we're uh, looking at objectively depending upon the implement used, uh, you can use output, you can use um, if someone is doing a certain range of motion, you can, of course, measure the the range of motion that's covered, um, especially with a lot of the tech that's out there today, there's there's ways to to measure um, kinematics pretty, pretty easily, like where the body is in space, Um, you can list if like what the orientation was like, are they seated standing supine prone. Um, And then from there, you can also list um, there like any output. So it's like if uh, you're on a Kaiser machine or you're using a dumbbell, using band, what was the what was the um, percent of deformation? How far away are you? Like you can you can objectively measure those things. And you could also ask them, okay, how tough was that? Right. So you put a number. So of their like it's kind of subjective objective like how intense was this right and and you can see like a percentage of their their maximum for like you can look at um uh, isometric maximums and you can you can you can screw around with all that type of output stuff so that uh, objective thing with the subjective saying like okay like uh where did you feel that in your body um did it feel fatigued was it painful um which side if you're doing unilateral stuff, which side feels normal? Like, did you feel this anywhere else in your body? Like, did it reverberate to any other parts of your body? Especially when there's there's people that are deconditioned and or are feeling sensations like they're doing, say they're just doing elbow flexion and they're holding onto a dumbbell, like I feel that in my neck or I feel that in my back or I feel that in my wrist. It's like, okay, well, it's interesting. I thought you'd feel that. Uh, I feel that on the anterior side of your, your humerus, like where bicep brachialis, all this stuff is, and maybe some forearm stuff, but like it completely blows away my expectations. So the subjective may actually then start to change where, where I'm challenging the body and, and changing the configurations of the body being like where they are in space, 
um, and how they orientated to the challenge. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, I'm just visualizing, visualizing all of those things and thinking of examples in my own, in my own work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's all about detecting, you know, and because there's a client that's detecting stuff. And then we're detecting stuff. And then there's like, how, how, how does a client detect things, right? And, and, and I think that's where a lot of people, like they, a lot of trainers, especially when I was first starting out, I was like, okay, well, let's, let's do these things. And then I'd start like looking at it and, and it had this idea in my head of how it looked. And I tell them to do certain things based upon how it looked. And I would never really check back in with, with how they felt. And other people, like, especially in, in personal training, they just start talking about their day. <laughs> They're like, you see that in other times where it's like, they, they just, it's almost like they're, they're not even concentrating on anything that they're doing there. It's like, oh, okay, they're like we're in a completely different state, but yet the, the client still has these, these uh, either output driven perspectives or these, um, these egocentric uh, guidelines where it's like, okay, what, where am I feeling this in my body? This like the sensation, um, the, the, the sensation stimulus is, is number one, then short-term memory, and then long-term memory is all these different stages of how somebody acquires skill or learns something. So and there's how many receptors that, that a client's like trying to make heads or tails from that information. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so when they're not paying attention, <laughs> yeah, it changes everything. You're not really getting a lot from them. I have, I have a question for you. Yeah. How do you handle a, a, a situation where a client gets on a machine or starts, starts performing an exercise mm -hmm. and they want to talk about their day or start asking you questions about your day? What, what are some, what are some ways that you handle that? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it's a great question. I'd say like overall it, it matters on what the context is for what they want to talk about. Um, I, I, I usually do um, a stroke reverse on that. You're like, Oh, it's, you know, it's a great question. Um, day's going good. How, how's, you know, how's it going for you? Or I'll say like, you know, um, day's going really well. I'm really hoping to get, to, to like see how these things are working today compared to last time. Cause I'm really concerned about you. you know, like I'm really concerned. Cause like when they're in, I want them to know overall that this is all about them. And if there's a thought that's in or a story that they're dealing with, that is too much. Sometimes just having them like get the story out can actually change performance. Hmm. So like sometimes if they're, if they're dwelling on a story, it's weird to see um, performance actually go way down because it's that mindset piece of it. Because something like they're they're distant, they're thinking about this other thing, or is it? Is, are you bringing attention, or is bringing attention back to them, helping them feel better about that, so that they can exert themselves because they realize, oh yeah, I'm here to exert myself, and I'm going to feel way better if I exert myself and figure out what's going on with, with me feeling empowered and powerful and strong and robust and recovered from the stuff that I do rather than just decimated and, and beat up. Right. Cause every time I come in, I feel better. Like, Oh, you know, I want you to feel better when, when you're doing this stuff and, and what does feel better, what does feeling better mean to you? It's going to be unique to you. You're going to have a unique scenario for you. And like, that's all I'm looking for. Is it, is it okay if we do that? And I ask for permission. So I, I, does that help at all? That's very helpful. Yeah. That's very helpful. I tend to, to focus more on trying to be proactive about it. Mm. Um, once I get into a situation where someone wants to have a conversation, when I want them to focus, it can be a little harder for me to, for me to kind of get everything back into focus. Um, mm. But I tend to, I tend to, 
in the beginning of an exercise or maybe even maybe even before the session even starts, I'll say something like, okay, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and I want to know everything that you're feeling. And, um, I want to, I want, I want to know where you're feeling things. And so start thinking of, um, start thinking of where you're feeling this. Sometimes I'll say that in the beginning of an exercise. So when you, so let me know where you're feeling this, when you start feeling it somewhere. That's cool. And I'll say, um, something like, um, let me know how this weight, if this weight feels moderate, because that's what we're going for right now. Mm. Um, and if it doesn't feel moderate, then I just kind of try to ask questions from there, but I do have a hard time kind of getting, getting things back into control where I want them. Once a person kind of veers off into, into something else. Well, I think like what you mentioned before is, is really important, which is like, okay, where, where do I want that person in, in right now, um, I've let go of that idea. Like, where do I want that person? Mm -hmm. And, and when you start asking questions, like you talked about questions are really where it's all at, because you're going to find out real quickly what they want. Like if they're asking you stuff about your day, it's really like a camouflage for something else, right? It's, it's like, either they, they, they don't want to work out that day or something else happened or they, they didn't know what, what else to say and they just want to relate to you, right? And, and um, the more that I ask questions back about scenarios, it, it, it helps me figure out what they're really trying to ask, almost like pain funneling, right? It's like, I want to know exactly what they're talking about um, and then how this relates to what we're here for. You know, cause that's all about the frame that we talked about before. Like the idea of the frame comes back to, okay, um, where we place our decision is the frame around the client centric frame like that. And that was set up in the very first meeting of the professional relationship with the client, right? It's like, and, and cause like the whole point is like, how do you want to set up that professional relationship? Are you sending setting it up as a serious professional, as someone that's like, we're here to solve these problems, or is it more of a friendshipy kind of thing? Cause like I'm, I'm here and, and, and I get pretty serious when I'm, when I'm off the bat, because it's, it's, um, I'm here to solve some problems. I'm here for a reason. I'm here for specific goals. And yeah, like people know that I'm, I'm serious about it, but I do it in a way where like we have, we have fun too. It's just a matter of, uh, that's the working professional relationship that I chose right off the bat, because that's really hard to change. Like once that's set right from the beginning with people, you know, there, there's a reason why, like, it's tough to work with loved ones when they already know you, right? Cause you, you have, you set a completely different frame for what they, what they expect the professional or the personal relationship to even be like. And that's why I don't normally hang out with a bunch of my clients is because I, I have this specific frame that actually, I believe helps my results with the person. I'd be doing them a disservice if I go and, and do a bunch of like friendshipy things with them. Like professionally, yeah, I'll, I'll go to certain things that to support my, um, my clients. But at the same time, like I make sure that that frame is set so that they can have success, right? And it's not for me, it's for them. Like the other stuff would be for me. Like I want, but like a lot of my clients can, can, can afford way more than, than I can with like all this other stuff. So it's like, they probably do some really cool stuff and it'd be awesome to be a part of it. But at the same time, we just wouldn't have the same relationship. And, 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 and that's important to me because they do really well because of the frame, I think, because they may not like, that's what I believe. I believe that setting the frame is, is important. And that's, that's why I go from there. But that's also um, how it relates to the frame, knowing my data, like what, what I think I can do, what are my preferences? And then the idea of like, what are my best alternatives for the decisions I'm going to make? And that's probability, um, knowing the amount of risk that person is is okay with and that's pro, that's prospect theory it's like are they high risk are they risk averse are they risk seeking and then um expected utility theory what do they want to do what do they view as success like what what like what are the things that like they can't live without and these are the things that are on my radar so that's that's huge that's absolutely huge does, it, does that make sense yeah yeah 
It absolutely does. Yeah. So like from there, the idea of like how we're using this stuff, note-taking, reviewing notes, knowing normative and non-normative references, um, N1 human systems as like people say N1 is like sample size of one in, in having um, each client as a very unique individual with their own stuff so that we can then review literature on those unique scenarios. Those are, those are the practical applications of how we use this or how I use this uh, in, in I've heard what you're talking about, how you're collecting data so that you can make better decisions to know your next starting point when that person comes in, even though and we both know that you know, like you won't know everything that happens with that person from when they left and when they came back in, like, it's just that you won't know what they've been through. Like you just won't know it, it, like they may, they may have like, I had one time when someone like flew off their motorcycle and they didn't tell me. <laughs> you know, like, Oh, I just, I just got T-boned by a car. <laughs> no big deal. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it happened a couple of weeks ago. I was like, well, you didn't tell me. And that was like three weeks ago. <laughs> no big deal. I got up. It's all good. It's on the highway. <laughs> there's, there's also, um, there's also the, uh, the other side of that where, um, someone may associate something that you did with a sensation they felt later. Mm. Um, and it's, it's so hard to know whether that was actually associated with the work that you did or whether that was something else. You like know, a good so way or a bad way? Uh, I mean, both, mm. both, you know, you, you, it's something that I've been, I've been asking people to, to tell me, you know, how they, how did you feel after our last session and tell me like 48 hours, but at the same time, you know, sometimes maybe maybe going for a walk, you know, was was the thing that that changed the way that they felt. Maybe they felt really crappy, or maybe they felt better after they went for a walk, or maybe it was a combination of other things that they did from the last time you saw them until this time. There are so many so many factors that can change the way a person feels. It's really difficult to know how effective. I'm really being. I think that's that, that one of the most important ideas is that um, as you're asking questions and, and the better question asker you are, people are going to relate what's going on based upon, I believe, the, the or I, I notice, not I believe, I notice that people relate to success and or connection by, by the questions that, that, that I facilitate. And be, getting better at like someone's doing a row. I'm like, okay, so where you're feeling that? And like somebody's like, wow, this is weird. I, I feel it in my my leg. And they're sitting down on like a a row machine, or, or like I had something the other day where somebody had some back stuff, and they they did something where they were using their foot, and they're like, well, I feel that in my back. I'm like, oh, so so you're telling me that it seems as though you're making a connection between your foot and your lower back. And you're like, yeah, I guess there's a connection, you know? So it's like even them saying, yeah, there's a connection between this foot and my back. Cause I felt that. And that's information I will never have. I will never have what somebody is experiencing during that moment in time, which may be like, okay, if they have a connection between their foot and their back, and maybe if I start working these things in tandem and, or I'm challenging this, area, I may get a different result because there is this connection. So that's so good. That is so good. I love the way you put that. Appreciate that. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, I've seen, I've seen Brandon do stuff, um, where he'll include multiple movements. So for example, I mean, this, this one's a little bit, uh, a little bit more, easier to tell where this connects, but, um, you know, he'll have somebody, for example, like capital extend as they're rowing mm. and, and, and it seems like, you know, when you're, when you're just kind of looking into Austin muscle restoration and you see us 
working with people and doing these strange things like make sure Just you're pointing your exercise. toe <laughs> make sure you're pointing your toe and side bending to the left and <laughs> it's these configurations just seem so wackadoo it yeah. seems it seems so like woo woo yeah but, but you're but detecting reality, stuff yeah you're, yeah you're detecting stuff because they're detecting stuff and like and they're telling you that's so cool that is that is so cool and that's why I like the idea of signal detection theory is so unique because there's two two people that are detecting these signals coming up with well, like, okay, uh, as this is being designed, you know, like, are we getting somebody closer to, to the frame that we set? It's like, because like, what does it really matter what this thing looks like if it's not getting this person closer to what they want to be able to do? Like, what's the point? It doesn't make any sense. It's like what three, three sets of whatever didn't get them, get them there doing cardio in the morning. Didn't get them there doing um, acupuncture and rolfing and massage therapy and whatever didn't get them there. Like maybe doing things differently because of asking different questions at different times, attract sensation and, or, or knowing these challenges might, might get them where they want to go. Like it might like, okay. So it's like, or in conjunction with other things might get them where they want to go. It's like, oh, what are people doing? Have questions based upon it. Take, take down the data. So you know, your client know their injury, uh, history, nutritional, basic health history, take good notes, review it when you need to get better at reading, interpreting, um, normative and non-normative data. It's a great, uh, like PubMed's an awesome research for, for, for articles. If you want to get better at reading articles, there's a bunch of different, um, like there's, there's some YouTube, um, presentations on reading articles. Um, you can go to Khan Academy to help with reading articles. Examine.com has got a couple articles on reading articles. Um, know the frame, set the frame of the decision, um, corroborate the data and calibrate my own data collection um, devices to reduce error because there's errors that are going to happen all the time. And it's like, you're going to have good sessions. You're going to have not so good sessions, try to have better and better sessions. So the mistakes get less and less. That's, that's just, that's it. Cause like when people are feeling better because they tell you that you're feeling better, they're not going to, they're not going to forget how you help them feel better. Like, or they're not going to forget that they feel better, not that you help them feel better, but like, they're not going to forget that they feel better in your place of business or in your gym. And so they're going to keep like, they're going to, they're going to basically, um, the brain is a very associative organ. They're going to associate your place with feeling better, just walking through your door, which is huge, which is huge. Mel. It's been awesome. I really appreciate you being on the show today. I look forward to reviewing all this stuff in a couple of weeks and um and we'll go from there is that cool sounds great it was so good to chat with you today i really enjoyed that conversation thanks mel i'll see you next time all right see you next time